Welcome to the Florence Crossroad podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. Amen. God bless you. We've been in this series now a couple weeks on, we've titled it All In. All in. You know, I'm a, I, I love football. I, I truly do. I enjoy football. I love, I love it when the, the teams in Oregon win. <laughs> and regardless of what people might say with the final score between Stanford and Oregon State, Oregon State won that game. I'm proud of our kids. I really am. And I really was proud of the Ducks last night. I was really proud. As a matter of fact, I preach better on Sunday morning when they win on Saturdays. I'm just telling you right now. I know. I'm just being honest. I'm being real. It's who I am. I can't change that. I don't want to change that. I'm not going to change that. How many of you figured that out already? All right. But I love, I, love, I love the aspect of it. What I really love about sports, because I was, I, I was involved with sports when I was a kid, played football, basketball was a little out of my range for some reason. Um, I, was, I was vertically challenged, so it was kind of hard. And short guys don't jump high, all right? But uh, track field, wrestling. I enjoyed those sports. Water skiing was, was my significant sport. But I loved it because I had coaches that, that had the attitude that when you do anything, put everything you've got in it. Be all in. Don't leave anything on the sideline. When you go after it, go after it. You know, it, it's not like what we see today in some sports where you just can't we won't go there. I, I, I just really, football was, you know, you just hit them for the glory of God. I mean, just, <laughs> now you got to worry about concussions and lawsuits. Hello? All in. I mean, I was raising a tough generation, folks. We didn't have padded dash. They were steel. Seatbelt was, you, you remember what, I, what it was like? Go out and play in the yard, not on computer games. You fell out of a tree, brush yourself off. If it's not broken, wonderful. Go back and play. Hello? We played all in. We, we played a game called Shinny when I was a kid. You take a, you take a tin can and a stick, and you beat that thing. It became a missile. That sucker would just take off, and it'd spin. it hit you in the, in, in the shin. It would just rip hide. Oh, for the glory of God. <laughs> all in. Do everything you have with all your might. I love that. That was the way that I was raised. Don't do it halfway. My dad did not. He said, Edward, Dale, you're an Edwards. And Edwards, they're special. It's just the way he was. Don't mess up the name. He meant that. I was afraid that if I messed up the name, he'd blot my name out. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All in. Give it your best. Hold nothing in reserve. Don't hold it back. Last week when Dustin and Angie were here and their children, 
it really brought that statement home to me in a unique way. Here's a precious young family that have moved their children, their lives, everything about their whole being from the comfort of Florence, Oregon, with the support, the medical support, and the financial support, and the, and the family support, and the friends support. They moved all of that to Nicaragua, where they're out there all by themselves. That's all in. They heard God, and they stepped out all in. Todd and, 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 and Kristen Oren, same thing, all in. When I look at that, it really speaks to me. It spoke to me strongly this week. And, I, and I've thought about that. I, I, I heard this statement. This fellow said, I have the inability to do nothing. I cannot be silent. Silence is consent. Inactivity is activity. Do you understand that? Inactivity is activity. Jesus modeled that. He went into the temple on Palm Sunday, and I mean he tore that thing upside down and sideways, casting the money changers out of that and said, you have made this a den of thieves. This is my father's house. It will be a house of prayer. Jesus was not inactive. He, he, he would see a man possessed of the demonic and he would exercise that and cast that out. He would walk along and see a funeral procession and stop it mid-stride and bring life back into the corpse of a dead child. He was not able to be inactive. And I believe that's the concept that he wants for us. Indecision is a decision. Indecision is a decision. The church, friends, was never meant to be a noun. It was meant to be a verb. It was meant to be active. And when the church becomes a noun, it becomes pugnant and repulsive and distasteful. The church is to be active. We're to be involved. We're to be engaged in the community in which we live. I'm so thankful that I'm a part of this church because this church is active. It's not a noun. It's out there. I love it. I, I'm out and about, and I'll have people say, you know, do you know so-and-so? Yeah. How do you know them? Well, they go to my church. Man, I kind of figured that out because they are doing something in this city. People impacting lives. People touching lives. I love that. Why? Because the church is not just passive. It's not just an adornment. It's not just a, an edifice. We Thank God for the building. We can all gather into it. But you know, if this burn, building burnt down, the church is still here. Amen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave a command. And the command was to charge our world. It was not to be passive. It was to go. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. I think it was Thomas Aquinas that made the statement, by all means preach the gospel and when in doubt, speak words. Be the church. Be engaged. Don't be indecisive. It doesn't mean that we're repulsive. It doesn't mean that we do stupid things. It doesn't mean that we're naughty. We need to be wise. We must use wisdom 
but we must not be silent. Amen? May I share with you, what would you do if you only had one day to live? What would you do? May I share with you, that's all you have. I don't have tomorrow, and I don't have yesterday. I have just one day right now. What would we do? What should we do? Here's the challenge. For many, it's easy to see and hear and be challenged by words like this. But for many of us, we lack courage to do this. I believe that there's a battle for courage to be all in. I believe that there truly is a battle for for courage in, in the life of the church. Joshua chapter 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying. I, I love Joshua because I believe he was all in. He was a man that changed the, the scope and destiny of a people. Verse 2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. You know, there's no great epitaph. Moses is dead. He's dead. Um, nothing more said. He's dead. You know what it means? He's not here. He can't do anything. Now get up and get going. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving you. Wow. Every place that you, the sole of your foot will, will tread upon, I have given you, says, as I said to Moses. I remember back in 1975, 76, we were building a brand new building in Pendleton. And we were looking for property. And we found a piece of property 13 acres up on Airport Road. I remember my board and I and, and, and some of the leaders of the church, we went up and we were looking at that property. And I said, guys, I believe what God spoke to Joshua, he can speak to us. Let's surround this property and every place the sole of our feet puts down, we're claiming for the glory of God. And we walked around that property. It cost us $10,300. Well, that was a lot of money back in 1976. (laughs) And we raised every dime of it. And God gave that church $10,500. We had all of the money that we needed. We had all of the the resources that we needed as, as far as being able to buy the property. There's a church sitting on that 13 acres today. And I believe it was partly because there were some men and and women of God that believed that God was faithful to honor what God said to Joshua he could say to us. Amen? Amen. I love that. It was fun. Rattlesnakes and all. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, says, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun. What that meant was where you would see the border between Turkey, uh, Lebanon, Syria today was the northern boundary of Israel. If you go to, to the river Euphrates, which is in Iraq today, was the eastern boundary. If you go to the northern tip of Saudi Arabia, is the southern portion of the, the, the place that God had given them to the Mediterranean Sea. How many of you know that's a little larger landmass than what Israel occupies right now? 
God gave them the land. Irrespective of the United Nations or the Arab League, God gave them the land. Hallelujah. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Say that with me. Be strong and of good courage. I don't know what it is that you face today. And I don't know the challenges that you're going against today. But my word to you is be strong and of good courage. You see, the courage isn't yours. It's God bequeathed to you for the moment of action in the moment that you live. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and of good courage. King David, King David, when he wrote the Psalms, it was like he would have a good day and a bad day. And he would write a song. And it would seem like that if you go through the Psalms, one Psalm is up, another Psalm is a little bit discouraged. He had a good day, he had a bad day. He wrote a Psalm about either one. Good days, bad days. How many of you have had good days and bad days? Every day is Monday, right? <laughs> Rainy days and Mondays. Isn't that a song that the carpenter sang, something like that? Okay. I don't know. Wayne, who wrote that song? Mamas and Papas. All right. I knew I'd, you know, I'd get the right guy in church one of these days and figure it out. But listen to, listen to what David wrote in Psalms 42. I love this passage. This scripture is so powerful for every one of us this morning. Sometimes, and I'm reading it out of the Message Bible, just a little more clarity. Sometimes I ask God, my rock-solid God, why did you let me down? Have you ever felt like that? Now, be honest. Be really honest. Have you ever felt like God let you down? There have been days. Why am I walking around in tears, harassed by enemies? They're all out to kill me, these tormentors with their obscenities, taunting day after day. Isn't this like the devil coming to you? Where is your God? Isn't that the trick of of hell itself? The devil has used that for years. He used it on Adam. He used it on Eve. He used it on all of the prophets of God and all the patriarchs in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where is your God? The atheists today, where is your God? Taunting, taunting, taunting. I tell you what, when you hear those words, you can guarantee it's coming from hell itself. That is the enemy of your soul. Where is your God? I've got news for you. Your God has never moved. Hello? He has not moved. He's right where he, he's right there. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Glory to God. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Now listen to the word. Fix my eyes on God. Soon. I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. David David realized 
that what he was going through in his emotional battle was first demonic. Its origins were the enemy of his soul. But he makes a declaration in verse 11, and I love it. What he's simply saying is, I can't stay here. I cannot remain in this attitude. I have to do something about this. I have to, I have to develop the inability to do nothing. I have to do something about where I'm at right now. Amen. Poke your neighbor and say, wake up. Amen. I can't stay where I am. Soon I'll be praising again. We all battle discouragement. It's it's not a good spot, and we can't stay there, but we all battle it. Say that with me, all. That means the person to your right and to your left, in front of you and behind you. All battle discouragement. So what is discouragement? What's the sources of discouragement? Discouragement is simply the absence of courage. Discouragement is the absence of courage. Discourage. To take out courage. Dis means to remove courage. When you're around somebody that encourages, what do they do? They put courage in you. I would rather be around an encourager as a discourager any day of the week. Hello? I, I do not stick around negative people. Oh, no, I avoid them like the plague. Uh-uh, man, that, that's, that's worse than the swine flu. I'm telling you, you don't want to be around a discouraging person. Don't be around them. No, no, be an encourager. Get around people that will build you up, encourage you. Well, what if there's nobody around? I love what Jude says, my beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. What's he saying? He's saying, get into the word. Get into prayer. Get close to Jesus. That's what he's telling us. It's not some mystical thing. It's not some crazy, wild-eyed thing. It's not fanaticism. But you get into this book. Oh, church. It's powerful. David found it real. He found it personally. Why it's so important to be to be involved with people with that's why we need to be in the, the word says forsake not the assemblings of ourselves together why because gathering together you know the enemy the enemy wants to isolate I, I have been blessed to to be able to be in Africa and I I was able to hunt in Africa and I have two really nice trophies by the way they I didn't get them for trophies every part of that became protein for a bible college but I was able to bring what wasn't going to be used home and I have a, a beautiful inyala and an impala beautiful animals and something oh that just that, that just breaks my heart oh I'm sorry god made them so tasty <laughs> but but here's the thing about both these animals they're some of the favorite food of the lion. And the way the lion would take one of those animals is the way the enemy would take us. He goes after the very young and the very old. He goes after the infirmed, the, the maimed, the wounded, and the one that's isolated. When we forsake the assemblings of ourselves together, we're buying into the lie of the devil that says, you don't need that. I've got news for you. You have just become 
cat chow. Because the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Isolation, getting you away. When you're in the, able to be in the, in the fellowship of other believers, when you're in the fellowship of men and women that have gone through the same things you have, you can find encouragement in the fact that, yes, I've been there, but my God was able. My God delivered. My God healed. My God is still alive. But there are, there are some things that create this discouragement. Fatigue. Fatigue can create discouragement. I think it was Patton that says that fatigue makes cowards of us all. Going too long, too hard, not getting rest, not taking time, not stepping back. We can become overwhelmed, overworked, and we can become so exhausted that we have no emotional strength left. And discouragement can come. Frustration. Unmet expectations, whether it's in your marriage or with your children, or with your job or business, with other people, unmet expectations. Do you realize that Christmas is one of the most discouraging seasons of the year? And, and the reason for it is we have all of this hype leading up to Christmas. We have all of this idea. Christmas is a hallmark Christmas. Everybody's happy and cheery. Everybody is this. Everybody. No, we, we have these illusions, these visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads. They become expectations, and when they're not met, depression, discouragement, defeat can come in. You, you all understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't look forward to the good things or hope for the good things or, or want the sugar plums in our heads. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't. It just simply means that the expectations sometimes they're not all lived up to. Failure. We live in a world that celebrates success. Celebrates success. <laughs> Pastor Jeff and I, we're, we're coaching a little football team. Kind of like herding cats. <laughs> and up until our last game, we had a perfect season. No wins. <laughs> and it was really discouraging. I mean, these poor kids, they were out there. And so I said, Lord, you're going to have to help us. I want these kids to at least have one positive. And so I prayed. I really did. And the Lord said, okay, here's what you do. And so I come up with a couple plays, threw it in there. And I mean, they got excited. They won 69 to 6. It wasn't so good. The other team, I felt bad for them. I started rooting for the other team. I did. I was cheering them on. I'm coaching them on our sidelines, how to defeat our kids. We like to win. But I'll tell you something, some of the defeats that our kids had were some of the best life lessons for them. The defeats that we have and the, the failures, quote unquote, that we have are some of the greatest learning moments for us. I could tell you a thousand things to never try in church again. I could tell you a thousand one things to never say in church again. But if we learn from them, those aren't failures. When, 
when Ed Edison developed the incandescent bulb, he had a thousand attempts that didn't work. He didn't call them failures. He just simply said, those were experiments that we learned from. Think about that. That's, that's being all in. <laughs> Fear. Fear is another one of those things that creates discouragement. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. God spoke to him. He goes and he prays and God stops the heaven for rain. For three and a half years, there's a drought in Israel. And when you're trying to grow things, it's kind of hard. How many of you think that there were probably wanted posters with Elijah's picture on it? Because they knew, they knew they could point to the man. The end of that, God spoke to him and he goes to Ahab and Jezebel and he challenges them. He challenges them. Let's see whose God is the real God. Challenges them. Goes out, builds an altar. You go build an altar. Let's, let's lay our sacrifice on the altar. You lay your sacrifice on the altar. Whose God calls fire from heaven down will consume. We will, that will be the God that we serve. But then to throw a little insult into injury to the prophets of Baal and Asherah, he takes water, water that is a very valued commodity in a drought, and he dumps it all over his sacrifice, all over the wood, all over every aspect of that altar. Prophets of Baal jump up and down and cut themselves and jump up and down on the altar. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, if I believed that my God was going to send fire on the altar, I wouldn't get up on top. Elijah steps back, prays 72 words, fire comes from heaven, consumes the altar, consumes the wood, consumes the sacrifice, and all of the water that's there, it was gone. Now think about that. At the end of that, he takes on the prophets of Baal and Asherah, there's over 900 of them, he kills them single-handedly one by one. Then he runs over to a mountain and he prays that God would restore rain back into the country and God hears his prayer. He runs ahead of Ahab's chariot back to the city. Be like a marathon. And then a four foot eleven, ninety pound little demon possessed woman by the name of Jezebel would make threats. Here's a man of God, full of God, the power of God is on him. The anointing of God goes and uses him in a dynamic, mighty way. And, and the words of this little pipsqueak woman, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, ladies. I don't. <laughs> but the spirit of slap comes on me when I think about Jezebel. I'm telling you, she's just full of the devil. And he runs. He runs for 40 days. Now, that's getting out of Dodge. And he hides in a cave. And he says, God, there is no one around that's serving you like I am. I'm the only one, God. I'm the only. And God said to him, wait a second. There are people that you don't even have a clue. You're not the only puppy in this pound. Edward's translation. And God begins to restore him. What was there about this woman that brought such great fear to Elijah? 
had nothing to do with Jezebel. The adversary of our souls, the devil himself, used her as a vehicle to bring fear because of exhaustion, because of all of the dynamics that I've shared already. It was the enemy of our soul that brought discouragement to her or to him. Do you understand that? I look at I look at the fact of discouragement. It's so common, folks. How many of you know that? Discouragement is so common. Every human life will at one time or another become discouraged. Every one of us is going to fight discouragement. Discouragement is also chronic. Just because we've been there and we've overcome it doesn't mean that we have developed antibodies against it ever happening again. You can be discouraged more than one time. Amen? It, it, it is a, it's, it's horrible when it comes, when it happens. But discouragement is also contagious. It's very contagious. Have you ever been around somebody that's discouraged? And you just feel like dancing? <laughs> Typically, no. Somebody's going through a tough time, a difficult time. It's, boy, it's hard to stay, you know. I, I, I am convinced that the enemy particularly likes to bring discouragement to people with influence. One of the greatest preachers that's been known in the last 200 years was a man by the name of, of uh, my brain just froze on me. Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was one of the most brilliant. He's considered the golden tongue orator. He was a phenomenal preacher. Preached in, in London, England. Great, great church. Powerhouse church. But he was also given to great times of discouragement and depression. He fought depression all of his ministry. And I believe that the depression that he fought was demonically inspired. Because here's a man that inspired men. Inspired Moody, inspired Finney, inspired men and women of God to preach the gospel. He was an influencer of people. And the enemy would try to do everything he could to bring him down so that he would somehow infect others with that. I've had moments of discouragement, but I've got good news for you. I'm not discouraged this morning. He can bring discouragement to any one of you. When my wife is discouraged, it brings discouragement. If I'm discouraged, it brings discouragement to her. That's where the word says it so well, building yourselves up. When you don't have anybody else around you, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Hallelujah. How do we win over this? Well, listen to St. David's words here. 34th Psalm, verse 1. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will. Say that with me. I will. Say it a little louder. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will praise the Lord. I will. You know, there's only two times to praise the Lord. When you feel like it and when you don't. 
Amen? I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of his glories and grace. I will boast of all his kindness to me. Let all who are discouraged take heart. Let us praise the Lord together and exalt his name. You see, the first thing David recognized was that when he was so focused on himself, he became discouraged. But when he began to praise the Lord, the focus changed. Hallelujah. I love that. When I begin to praise God, my focus is on him. Guess what? When my focus is on him, guess what he has? Everything. Nothing is impossible to them to believe. Nothing is impossible with our God. He is the same yesterday, today, and hallelujah. Do you know what that means? That simply means that what he was able to do back in the early church, he can still do today. Don't minimize God. Don't think that the things that happened in the early church died off with the apostles. It didn't. To your sons and to your daughters as a far off. And some of us are about as far off as we... Never mind. <laughs> Listen to it. So praise him. Verse 4 gives us another dynamic. For I cried to him and he answered me. That's prayer. He freed me from all my fears. How many of you could be, could use a little bit of that today? Diagnoses that have been given, challenges, the unknown, the struggles, the insecurities, the financial insecurity, and the fears that come. What does he say? He freed me, he freed me, he freed me from all, all. Not, not. He didn't put an ex. He didn't put a, a colon there and said, "With the exception." No, he freed me from all of my fears. Others too were radiant at what he did for them. Theirs was no dis, There, there was no downcast look of rejection. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. For the angel of the Lord guards and rescues all who reverence him. Oh, put God to the test and see how kind he is. Some, have, some versions say, taste and see how good he is. See for yourselves the way his mercy shower down on all who trust him. Here's two things that I get out of that. If you don't get anything else out of this. Praise shifts the focus from you to him. And prayer shifts the burden from you to him. Do you you catch that? Praise shifts the focus. It gets it off of you. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I got news for you. Nobody cares. <laughs> Truth. But Jesus does. And when all we do is pain, despair, and agony on me, who wants to be around that? But when we put our focus on Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our, of our faith, the one that is the Alpha and the Omega, the one that is the beginning and the end, and he has everything in between. Man, when I put my focus on him, all of a sudden resources in my mind begin to tumble in and there's nothing, nothing, nothing that's impossible. Hallelujah. And when I begin to pray, 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 what's that do? I, I, I release this burden. I'm taking the burden and I'm putting it on him. I've asked people, what's, what's the answer? to what, what, what is the thing about prayer? What is it we get out of prayer? And the stock answer is we get, we get answers. Not always. Not always. Paul writes in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. That's worry about nothing. Be, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer removes worry. Amen? Amen. Prayer removes worry. Prayer and praise. I need them both. You know, you, you, you can be a courageous warrior, but it's impossible to be a courageous worrier. All the worry you have is not going to wear God down. All the worry you have is not going to make God answer your prayer. If you pray and worry, all you're going to do is waste your time. Don't even pray. Now, I can pray because of my worry, but I'm not praying my worry. James says this, James says, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. They would anoint them with oil, and the prayer of worry will heal the sick. No, it says the prayer of faith. Say it with me. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Not worry, but faith. I love that. But it's not just that God would take care of that worry and replace it. Thank God he does. But prayer restores my faith and my courage. Verse 7 of of Philippians 4 says this, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever had so much peace that you couldn't sleep? Or you've just been so consumed with peace that makes you sick to your stomach. Oh, God, I just can't take this peace any longer. This peace is killing me. None of us have had that, folks. But this is the promise of God. I pray he takes the worry. He, he helps me with my face. And, folks, he he just he brings peace into my soul. Wow. And then comes the answers. You know, God gave a promise. He gave it to Abraham, he gave it to Moses, he gave it to Joshua, he gave it to Nehemiah, he gave it to Daniel, he gave it to the to the men and women of God. Do you know what God gives promises to us? But and, and thank God he does. And when he has given us a promise, we can hold on to that promise. 
But that doesn't mean that just simply because God's given us a promise that the enemy will not fight that promise. God said to Joshua, go in, be of good courage, do not be fearful, for I have given you the land. What he didn't tell him is this, Joshua, when you cross the the Jordan River and you come to the borders of Jericho, every enemy of the land is going to bow their knee and they're going to raise the white flag of surrender. He didn't tell him that. He knew that there would be a battle, that there would be casualties, that there would be some on his right and left that would leave, some that would be defecting, some some that would stumble and fall. He knew that. But he told him to go in and fight because he said, I am with you. What is the promise that you're holding on to? I'll tell you the promises that I'm holding on to. I'm holding on to the promises that I dedicated our babies when they were little little kids. We dedicated them to the Lord. We dedicated that they would love Jesus and that they would serve him all the days of their lives. And for the most part, that's happened. But I'm standing on the promise of God. And if they didn't, I'm standing, on the pro- I'm standing on the promise for my grandbabies that we dedicated. And we have one right now that isn't serving God the way I would hope he would. But I'm standing on the promise that says you train up a child in a way they shall grow. And when they grow old, they will not depart from it. I'm standing on that promise. I'm standing firm and battling for that promise. I'm not going to give in to that promise. I'm all in on that promise. Can you say amen to that? We've got to believe in something bigger than us. We need to challenge and charge our marriages that they be the strongest things in the world. I, I, I have this little thing in here that, that I carry. and I know it's in here. There it is. I've kept this with me for several years now. Young lady in our church and her husband, he was a naughty boy. He did some horrible things. And she claimed her marriage. She didn't give up on that marriage. She didn't say, it's over. She says, and these are her words, my marriage will be restored. Promised by the Lord. Jeff's love for me will be renewed. Promised by the Lord. I watched her for seven years. I watched her come into church and hit the altars and she prayed every single time. Tears coursing down her face. She took this card. I saw this card on the altar with her. And she prayed over that. And she prayed and believed God. This was a promise that God had given her. It wasn't just nice words that somebody had come along and said. No, she believed that she heard a rhema word from Almighty God spoken into her spirit. And she was not going to be denied. I remember walking into my office. And here's Jeff sitting there in, in the foyer of our office there in Lodi. And I walked in, and he jumped up, and he said, Pastor, I'm, I'm desperate. I've got to talk to you. And I'm, well, fine, wonderful, come on in. He came into my office, and as soon as the office doors were open, he was on the floor weeping like a child. He said, I'm, I've lost the biggest thing in my life. I have messed up my life. I have blown my life. I have wasted my marriage. 
and I don't want it to be ruined, how do I get it back? I said, Jeff, you know how to get it back. You bow your heart to Jesus. You commit your life to him. You commit your life to that marriage. You ask God's mercy and forgiveness. You go to, you go to your wife and you tell her how big of a fool you've been and that you need God's mercy and forgiveness and you want to restore your marriage. I had the privilege of remarrying them and renewing their vows. And when I did, she said, Pastor, I'm giving you this because you stood with me these seven years, believing God for my marriage. Folks, there are some things worth fighting for. And there are some things in life that are far more important than the trinkets of this world. There are things like the souls of your kids and the souls of your grandkids and your marriages and your businesses and our influence to reach the lost of our community. There are things that we must be all in on. What are you all in on? What is it that there's in your life that you're worth, it's worth fighting for this morning? What is there that you're facing today that the enemy has tried to bring discouragement and defeat into your life? That you need the courage of a living God to rise up in your soul. If God be for me, who can be against me? Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, you're fighting a battle, but you're not fighting it alone. You're in a battle, but you've got the warring angels of heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you have Almighty God and His Word and His promise standing with you. He wants your marriage strong, and He wants your family whole and saved. He wants... He wants to bring his grace into your life. Can you say amen to that? Father, this morning you know every heart that's in this room. You know every battle that's going on and you know every struggle that people are facing today. I remember just a year ago facing a horrific battle with Sherry's mom. In me trying to kill her, but God, you've kept her alive. And Father, there are others that are going through just as desperate moments, some in her marriage, some with physical health, some financial. Father, we bring those to you. First of all, we want to focus our, our faith to you today. And secondly, Father, as we pray, would you take the worry? Would you bring the faith? Would you bring the courage? And would you bring the answers in Jesus' name?